Last week we uh, briefly introduced a group of sermons that we're going to begin the year with. Um, I don't know exactly how long we're going to, to go through it. Uh, but the, the topic that, that these are all going to be connected by is going to be uh, referencing our, our visible faith. Um, and and uh, I don't know, it might be May, it might be earlier than that, but um, the, the idea when we think of our visible faith, we're talking about outreach or not, not necessarily specifically outreach, but, but in any way that, that we are visible to the community uh, around us. And we're, we're opening with a, a series titled Catch-22, um, uh, a pun, but uh, some of you know what Catch-22 is or vaguely familiar with the idea. Uh, and so I want to introduce kind of the, 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 the concept um, of, of a, what a Catch-22 is. A, the Catch-22 is, it was originally a book um, written by a guy who was a World War II veteran. And, and he, he was a, a pilot. And, and the, the, the strange thing was is that it was idiotic to fly missions. It was, it was crazy to fly missions. You were doomed to die. Uh, the average, I think the average number of successful missions before dying was like five or six if you were a, a World War II pilot. Um, and and so, so there was this rule, it was Rule 22, in, in which you could apply for uh, not, uh, being, uh, not, not continuing to fly missions uh, under, this, under insanity. Um, so, so you could apply for that. However, the problem was is if you applied for this, they figured that since you could correctly fill out the paperwork <laughs> in, in, which, in which you needed to get this exception, you were not, uh, you were not insane. So, so it was the Rule 22 or Catch 22. You, you, you probably, if you were insane enough, you probably didn't know how to fill out the paperwork. And so they just kept you flying missions till you died. So, so it was this, this crazy thing. And, and the, the connection that I want to make with this, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, things that, that as we, we look at outreach and as we look at being visible in our faith, there's this idea that we want to we wanna grab hold and we want to influence the world around us. And yet there are things that we can do. Sometimes we're so eager uh, in our faith uh, that, that we want to, uh, there's, there's all sorts of words that, that, that we can use, relevant or whatever, or that, that we want to be and influence the world around us that we can actually end up defeating the very thing that we are trying to accomplish through our visible faith. We all want to influence people for God. That's, I don't think there's anyone here who goes, no, I do not wish to influence anybody for God. Uh, yet, in, in some of our, our, our methods and approaches um, can, can accomplish really a, a, a counterproductive um, uh, product. When we look at success this year and going forward, we want to begin by eliminating those methods that run opposite of God's goals. And we're going to look at a couple of things. Today we're just going to be in in one chapter in the Bible, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, if you turn with me there. This will be a passage we we recognize fairly well. Uh, Mark 8.31, beginning. He says, He began to teach them the Son of Man must... Suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. After that, uh, after three days, he would rise again. And he said this openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. 
uh, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but you are thinking about the things of men. When he had called the people to himself, along with the disciples, he said to me, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, for whoever, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When, uh, when we read this passage, we are almost always drawn to a particular verse. We're going to discuss that verse, verse 34. Uh, seems to be the, the, the pinnacle of this, this passage, the denying himself and taking up his cross. That's, that's the one that you'll, you'll see of all these verses, you'll see that on a motivational uh, religious poster or, or a bookmark, if you get a bookmark at the Christian bookstore or something, you'll, you'll get those. I don't even know if they have Christian bookstores anymore, but... Um, this is valuable... But there's a lot of context around this. And uh, so many sermons have been preached on denying of self. And one thing that they do, I'm not saying these are bad applications, but they're just not the intended application. Uh, they, they tend to focus on denying material desires. Right? They, they focus on our wealth or pride or some other thing that, that we need to give up And those are true. Those are all true. But that's really not what he's focusing on here. The the entire context comes and proceeds from this interaction that he has with Peter. Uh, And he uses that to launch into, really, a discussion about his ministry. That's what this is about, his public ministry. And so uh, we're going to look at some some ideas uh, that, that he's trying to present here. Uh, Peter's got some ideas about the way Jesus should run his ministry. Uh, And Jesus begs to differ. He's got good motives. Peter's got good intentions. He's, he's, Jesus, this can't be. That's pointless to do that. What, are you going to let yourself die? And so Jesus has to teach his disciples about being all in in the ministry. Being all in. Are you all in? That's where we want to start this year at. Being all in. And so we first look at some natural enemies of ministry. Verse 33. He says, When he turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful about the things of God, but about the things of men. Peter, and I assume Peter was just the mouthpiece. Peter tended to be the mouthpiece for for everybody else that was too chicken to say what was on their mind. Uh, So so I assume that that there were some other people that had the same thought. That just tends to be the way it is. Um, So uh, I'll, I'll include at least some of them here along with him. But... They have a physical target. Physical targets are an enemy of ministry. 
They have ideals about how Jesus, and, and they have this, by the way, right up until after Jesus dies and then raises again, as he said he's going to do, and they've still got physical targets. So now are you going to make the kingdom? Now. Like, all right. <laughs> you guys are going to have to wait until the Holy Spirit comes and, and I'm done with you guys. <laughs> all right. So, so you got to wait another 40 days. And then you'll understand it more because I, 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 I can't anymore. I can't. I've, I've tried three and a half years. Someone else is going to have to try. Uh, they had physical targets. and That, that was just uh, where their brains were at. They determined what they knew was best for Jesus' ministry. How to direct that ministry. And they were not willing to let go of those physical targets. Peter's priorities are still based on physical objectives and goals, not spiritual ones. The second enemy is rigidity. Verse 34. He takes him aside and rebukes Jesus. I want to say, what? Whose ministry again is this? Who came down from heaven again? Just remind me. Which one of us did that? So I'm having a problem. I was, I was, uh, for a second there, I thought it was me, but it must be you, Peter. We have ways we like to do things. It's always been done this way. It doesn't mean that we're malicious. It doesn't mean that we're insubordinate. But we have things that we are familiar with. We have our favorite tools. Our favorite ways we like to do things. But Jesus is saying here, listen, you have to follow me. I set the guidelines. If you want to be a part of this ministry. See, this isn't about, this isn't about the physical, natural things that we have to give up, as I said. This is about ministry. This is about Jesus' ministry. And if you want to be a part of my ministry and you want to accomplish things for this ministry, you're going to have to learn to do things the way that I want you to do them. You go somewhere and you have an expertise. You get hired on somewhere in the same field. Like, I know how to do this. The guy says, yeah, unlearn everything you ever thought you knew. Right? You ever been in a job like that? I do it this way, my company. I don't care the way you did it over there. So that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to have to unlearn some things. Maybe, maybe John the Baptist did this this way when you were with his disciple. That's fine. That's fine for John the Baptist. I do things my way. However it was, however they got this into their head, that this is the way things needed to be done, Jesus is saying, no, nah, not here. My way. So, don't be so rigid. I want to look at some misguided objectives that there are in here. Verse 31 and 32, the beginning of 32. He says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke these words openly. This is where Peter steps in and inserts his Opinions. I want to talk about failure prevention. That's a goal of ours. We have that goal. Right? 
Anybody who's been in business, that's a good goal to have. There's not a bad goal. This is where that rigidity comes in, where, where this is the only goal that we can have. We like to progress. We don't, it, who wants to start something and say, you know what today I want to do is I want to not progress. I want to go backwards. I knew a guy, um, he uh, was fairly wealthy. He says, you, you're not successful in business until you've lost a million dollars. That's, that's when you can tell you've, you've, you've made it in business. Um, now, no one then goes, you know what I need to do to be successful is I need to lose a million dollars today. <laughs> that's not the idea. But, but we have the, the goal that we must always, oh, no, I, 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 my, my stock, my, whatever, that went down today. That's, this was a bad day. Well, maybe so. Maybe so, but if you invest a little bit more today, do a little dollar cost averaging, then it comes back. You, you end up turning a negative into a positive. But, but if we have the goal that we can never take a step backwards, see, that is a wrong, that's a wrong ideal, that's a wrong objective. Failure prevention. Now, we don't want to give up, there's a military uh, uh, reference to, to not giving up ground that you have to retake later. Okay, well, there's, there's been objectives like that. Don't give up ground that you, you have to retake later. But when people do that, sometimes you get things like Hamburger Hill or whatever. You get, you get horrible fights that you have to keep retaking and retaking and retaking and fighting and throwing men after men after men because of this objective. And sometimes that's not a good objective. Sometimes you need to count your losses and say, okay, that, that didn't turn out so good. I can keep throwing bodies at this at this problem. But sometimes, sometimes failure is a necessary part of progress. Uh, and that really, progress is a long-term goal. Uh, not necessarily every short-term negative thing is, is going to be avoidable. See, the problem isn't really the objective. Uh, desiring positive movement is noble. It's, it's to be desired. But I cannot, I am just a human being. I cannot see all the variables. I can't. There's so many variables in anything. And ministry, I'm speaking vaguely, but, but ministry is about people. That's what it is. And, and people are, anybody you work with is a bunch of variables all rolled up in one. You're working with this person, you think it's going good, and then all of a sudden you hit something. You don't know what you hit. <laughs> We've run aground. Well, you you might have hit something in their past. You might you might, and all of a sudden they're like, "Whoa, I I I'm not ready for this." And you don't know what it is, and you think, "Oh, this was a this was a bad week." Maybe, or maybe you've reached a point where you can address something. Oh, now we're discovering some things, and you don't know how long it's going to be from that point. There's there's so many variables in ministry. And I know you think, "Well, I'm not a minister. I'm not a preacher." No. No, but you're a minister. Everyone here is a minister. Everybody here is, is, is in some degree or another a person who's involved in presenting an image of Christianity. Whether you're paid to do it, whether you're ordained to do it, whatever your status is, we're all servants of God in one degree or another. But we see sometimes things as failures that are building blocks for success. Peter, 
looks at Jesus' death as a necessary obstacle to success. Jesus, your ministry can't continue if you're dead. Did you hear the part where I said I'm going to raise again? Nope, wasn't listening to that part. (laughs) That variable does not compute up here. I was just listening to the part about you being dead. That's That's a step backwards we can't come back from. I can come back from that. And, that. and that's what Jesus is trying to tell them. This is a necessary part of my success. In fact, I can't do anything that I want to do without dying. I cannot save the world of its sin without dying. This is a very necessary variable to my success. And Peter could not grasp that concept. The second thing, verse 33. I know we've read this. We're going to go back to it. He says, when he had turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. It's not just positive success that we want to see, but sometimes it's visible success that we want to see. We tend to identify success through physical indicators. Now, there used to be a thing up here, right here, that's not there now. There were two numbers on those. What two numbers were those? What's that? Money and people. Money and numbers. Those are the two indicators that we focus so much on to determine what success. I found books from 1953. I was cleaning out the closet down. And I found, uh, uh, guess what those numbers were? There's, There's a log from 1953. What did they have on them? Contributions and attendance. It doesn't make a difference what decade you are. That's, that is success as a church. Money and people. Numbers. How many were here in attendance on Sunday? That's, that's it. We don't take the number for Wednesday night. We certainly don't take the number for class. Don't take that number. Visible success. Now, I'm not saying that those numbers don't indicate anything. But there are, again, a lot of variables. Right? There's a lot of variables. And so they're not necessarily great indicators. <clears throat> Failure prevention, like we've talked about, it capitalizes on this. Right here. The, those two things go hand in hand. We want to prevent failure. Well, we, we, our numbers aren't doing what we want. So how do we not fail at the numbers? And this is the danger zone right here. How do we, how do we, uh, how do we avoid the numbers going down? And that, that number right below that, that, that's an important number too. How do we prevent that number from going down? And so we get into some resulting derivatives of this problem, verse 36, we see the first one we're going to, not, not first in chronological order here, but the first that we're going to cover. Verse 36, he says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now this speaks on an individual level, but it's true in a, in a larger scale. And remember, all of this is within the context of ministry. What does it gain you if you convince the whole world but you have lost your soul in the process. What does it gain a church if it convinces 
all of Waukesha, but it has lost its collective soul in the gospel. It does not do a thing. We've convinced a lot of people of something, but what have we convinced them of? And so we conform. We want to conform to make those numbers go up. Many people need to think that in order to convince the world around us, we need to adopt the standards of the world around us. Well, that makes no sense. And so we make the logical leap. Here's the logical leap. Is that they'll accept the gospel, right, if they like us. They're not going to accept what I'm trying to tell them if they don't like me. So I must make them like me. So liking me is now the goal. Liking our church is now the goal. And we look at all the, the demographics and the things that you have to have in your church building if you want people to stay and have to have a nice kitchen and a nice bathroom. And da, 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 da. Right? All the things. This is, what, this is how we get the numbers. Move to the next thing, verse 38. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the Holy Angels. This is very similar to conformity, and that is compromise. It's a little different. There are parts of the Bible that are inconvenient. They just are. It's not convenient to sit there and tell people you believe in a worldwide flood. It's not. That's hard to believe. The world around you doesn't believe it. it. There's a lot of things in the Bible. It's, it's not convenient in light of our world to sit there and say, you believe in creation in six days. Not convenient. Be nice if that was left out so I didn't have to address it. But it's there. And so we compromise. We start to fudge a little bit. Try to massage things. Because I'm ashamed of those parts. God says, you're ashamed of it. I'm going to be ashamed of you. He doesn't say, he doesn't, notice what he says. He doesn't just say, whoever is ashamed of me. He just, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. You're ashamed of this message. The message is me. I am the word. Truth and love are not mutually exclusive. We often think, well, it's not very loving to say some things. Some conclude that the only way to get truth and love together is to compromise somewhere. And to say something. I've I've been open about kind of my growing up. I grew up in an alcoholic family. Um, so, so what I'm going to say here, um, take, take that in, into consideration. We talk about alcoholism. Why? That is a major compromise. Find alcoholism in the Bible. It's not there. It's a compromise. Can you find me one other disease that exists that God calls a sin? It doesn't exist. There is no disease that's a sin. You can't control having it. Can you imagine? I mean, how many cancer patients 
would love to have a disease that gets treated by a 12-step program. Like, well, I, I had cancer, but I, I'm going to a 12-step program, and today I have no side effects. I have no problems today. Whew. I got, I got a blue chip. I've been in remission for, for, for 10 years. Right? That doesn't happen. There's no other disease that, that does this. Like diabetes. Like nothing, no, that doesn't happen. One sin. One sin gets this. We don't have uh, heroinics. We don't have murderics. But we have alcoholics. Why? It's compromise. Remember, I've seen this up close and personal. This is not me speaking from what I don't know. I'm not saying it's not an addiction, a compulsion. We can call it lots of things. It's not a disease. It's a sin. And I cannot help somebody unless I approach it from the right perspective. And that deals with anything. Now, love is not rude. Right? That's a simple statement of 1 Corinthians 13. It's not rude. So, so if I'm going to deal with it the right way, I need to approach it from love. But love does not mean calling stuff what it ain't. And we can, the, the world around us is doing this on a number, and, and more and more things are becoming biological problems that people are just born with. That ain't. And we cannot help people if we're presenting to them a lie. Do not compromise. If you are ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you when I come with my, my angels. Verse 35. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Talk about avoidance. We get into this desire to avoid the, the negative things, and, and a lot of times it's connected with how it's going to affect me personally. It can be relationships that I'm going to lose. It can be jobs that I'm going to lose. It could be lots of things that I, I fear I might lose. And so I'll just, I, I don't want to compromise. Right? I, I'm not going to, I'm not a person who will compromise his values. I'm not going to say something I don't believe is true or is false. But what, what, I, I can't do that. So to avoid that conflict, I'm just going to lay low. Still have my values. I haven't compromised. I'm just laying low. This is a different way of the same thing, avoiding negative circumstances. And then verse 32, another problem that comes with this. We've already read it and discussed it to some degree. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Just some, eventually, when we have these wrong goals, we feel the need to take control of God's ministry. This is the way we do it. Simply, that's just the way it is. And, and there comes a point in which many churches simply don't care. They simply don't care. You can present this, 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 this. We don't care. <laughs> How can you read this? We are taking control of ministry. And they take control of Christ's ministry. I do not have that right. I do not have the right to change things or to compromise or do any of these things. We're going to talk more about this 
in, in the upcoming series or upcoming sermons in this series. But <clears throat> you get an idea of what we mean by being all in. To deny all of these things that we think are so important, our, our motives and, and, and what we're trying to be, those are, those are fine. Some of them are fine, those, those objectives of, of progression and things like that. But being all in means I might not understand everything. And I'm going to have to give that up and relearn some things. Even when what God wants doesn't make sense. Even when I seem to be going backwards. In fact, I wouldn't say even when. I would say especially when. Especially when things seem to be going backwards, I need to go, Andrew, you don't know. It seems to be doing the wrong thing. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm teaching the best I can, and people are leaving. Let them leave. It's negative? Yeah. Will it be a building block for something positive? Possibly. That's not my jurisdiction. I don't get paid enough to know how to sort that out. This world can't pay me enough to figure out how God sorts that out. I have to back up and let Christ's ministry be his ministry. Christ does not care about those two numbers. He does not care about those two numbers. So many decisions have been made because of worrying about how we're going to meet the mortgage or whatever. How are we going to do? God does not care about those numbers. When Christ's mission seems to be the most wrong, based on everything I know, based on every factor that I have been raised to think is important. When I'm I'm trying to make all this fit the way I think it should be, and it is absolutely wrong. God says, good. Now you're catching how I do things here. Because I'm going to show you how it works out. But the only way I am going to see it is if I am all in.